You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. First Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians about what happened when he came to them. And he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not, not, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. It is necessary, it is imperative that in the 21st century, the people of God must experience the power of God for themselves. Because there is no other way, there is no other way for their faith to be unshakable. Have we not already seen that a faith that's based on personality and marketing And human effort can be blown away in the first winds of a pandemic. Like, we need to be founded on the power of God. It is necessary that the church should be experienced as a supernatural church. I mean, if it's just going to be about what we can kind of do in our own strength, like, let's just go home, you know. It's not worth 45 years. But I'm here to tell you, you say yes to Jesus, you'll experience it as supernatural in ways far beyond your wildest dreams. Like, I can't even begin to tell you all the stuff that's happened. It's like somebody asked me, you know, have you achieved your dreams for your life? And I laughed. And I said, we passed those up so far ago. It's hardly worth talking about. What God has determined for us is beyond what we can even imagine. So Jesus said to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem on the mission until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't even try. To do it on your own. Wait, he said. Wait. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the Spirit of God to come. And when he comes, you will be baptized in power. And then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the world. Now, the word baptized does not mean a little drop. It 
it does not mean a toe in the shallow end of the pool. It does not mean a nice safe taste of the Holy Spirit that you can keep under control. It means to be inundated, to be overwhelmed, to be swept away. It means he comes and he rules and takes you where he will. That's what it means. But when you do that, that's when great things happen. Now you want great things. Let him be in charge. But it starts with something bigger than what you can manage. And we all know we kind of like to manage things. But of course, what the pandemic has taught us is you're not managing nearly as much as you think you are. So we must be a people of the Holy Spirit and learn how to walk in his ways. We must learn the secret of power and weakness. So I want to talk to you a little bit about our legacy of the Holy Spirit in the vineyard. Because we do have a legacy. And the legacy is not actually just that we believe in healing or that we believe in prophecy. Like, that's been around a long time. In fact, if you open the books, you'll see that healing's been in the Church of Jesus Christ in every century since Jesus ascended into heaven. He never left. You know, it's, it's always been there. That's not new. And certainly, it's widespread since the Azusa Street Revival and the Pentecostal movement that's gone all over the world. So that's not, that's not the new part. But there are things that God gave us that are truly more new and that are a part of our heritage. And I want to just kind of talk a little bit about that because we want to be supernatural, but not necessarily exactly the way everybody else is supernatural. Because we've got a, we're a family here and we've got like a family identity. And the first, first one for me is just really important because in the vineyard we understand that our experience of the supernatural, our experience of the Holy Spirit is rooted in the inbreaking of the kingdom of God more than it is on anything else. Which basically means it's always a surprise. <laughs> like you never know when it's going to happen. It can happen at any moment. And it's not under your control. It's rooted in the kingdom more than in faith. It's really inbreaking more than method. Lots of people offer method. If you just do this, then the power will always come. If you just do that, you can always be healed. Well, it's never worked that well for me. You know, it's an interesting thing because what it is, it's method, right? Which is, again, what's that? That's trying to get back in control, really, if you just have enough faith. And there's a certain thing about it that seems, like, logical, like... Don't you think if more people expected healing to happen, that more healings would happen? 
that seems logical, right? If everybody had this great expectation, great miracles are going to happen. The problem is I've seen all the big miracles, and most of them happened when I least expected them to happen. In fact, on several occasions when I didn't even want them to happen. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we used to come over here, of course, I'd do these big conferences with John Wimber, and, you know, ten, you know, all kinds of thousands of people, and we would go like a whole week, and we'd be praying from, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning till, you know, 11 o'clock at night, and you get tired. And I can remember a couple of times just like, we're, we're down to the last day, and, you know, we're thinking, oh, let's just go back, get something to eat, and go to bed. And somebody comes walking down the aisle with a blind person, you know, and it's just like, oh, God, please, not now. Like, not now. And of course, you know, then it's sort of like, but because you said so, because you understand that he said we are called to heal the sick and to cast out demons just as much as we are called to preach the gospel because they're part and parcel of the same thing. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are commanded by Jesus to be somebody who prays for the sick as well as shares your faith, as well as casts out demons. That's, that's the deal. That's part of the command that disciples get. So because you said so, Jesus, and then like, boom, you know, they start seeing. Then you forget about how tired you are. But it wasn't because we were like super expecting it. In fact, you know what it really is? It's not so much the faith of expectation, it's the faith of obedience. And you want to know what? When I read my Bible, what I read is the kind of faith God's always looking for, is the faith of obedience. So like, you know what? You don't have to be so sure about what's going to happen. You just got to have the obedience to when they, when they turn up, to just keep going, just keep praying, just keep trying, giving it a go. And you just never know how it's going to go. When we first started learning how to do this, we were living in this, well, you would, I don't know, kind of a, one of those impoverished areas where almost everybody is kind of uh, being supported by the government. I, I forget what you guys call those areas, but we were, we were living there. And the thing about it in those days, this is back in the 1980s, so that was before there were cell phones and personal computers. So people actually sat on their porches and met each other. And everybody in the neighborhood knew that we were getting into healing because everybody, and those, these places function like small towns where everybody knows what's going on with everybody. And one day, one of the Appalachian ladies from down the street comes to me and she says, do you believe in prayer claws? And they went, what? Prayer claws. And I said, and I'm thinking in my head, like, I'm not a televangelist trying to raise money. Why are you asking me a prayer cloth? Because my whole perception was, you know, they, they tell people, we'll send you a prayer cloth if you send us money. So I asked her, I said, why are you asking me? And she says, well, I have this friend who had a baby, and the baby 
has some kind of problem, and so it keeps, it, it, the breathing keeps stopping. The baby stops breathing, and they have to restart the breathing of this baby, and it's in the hospital, and nobody can go there. It's there in the ICU. And she says, I just thought if you would give me a prayer cloth, I could give it to the mom, and she could take it to the hospital and pin it to the baby, and the baby would be healed. And I thought, this is really weird, but this lady has faith, so let's give it a go, you know? So I said, you give me a cloth, and then I'll give it back to you, and we'll see what happens. So she brings me this little piece of panel, and I looked at it, thought, uh, like, I, I don't remember the instructions on praying over prayer cloths, but I thought, well, I'll just try praying over it like I would if I was with the baby, and give it back to her. And then she didn't say anything for a long time. Finally, I saw her on the street. I said, whatever happened with that baby? She says, oh, didn't I tell you? It went just the way I thought. She took that thing and pinned it to the baby, and the baby never had any more problems after that. All of which is to say, you just keep swinging. You just keep saying, yes, it's the faith of obedience. And God breaks in when you least expect it. When it doesn't even quite make sense to you sometimes, he breaks in. So for us, that's really important. And you know what? It gives us a theology for failure. Because you know what? Not everybody gets healed. In the last 35 years, I've prayed for, you know, I don't know, 20, 30,000 people, myself personally. You lose track after a while. And I've seen all kinds of incredible things. I've also had a lot, a lot of times when nothing much happened. I always tell people, I can't make the wind blow. But if the wind blows, I do know how to sail. Yeah, okay, so that's how it goes. You know, if the wind blows, I know how to sail. It doesn't always happen. We don't always know why, but it gives but the, the whole thing of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is coming into the world and has come into the world and brought with it down payments, little tastes, little beginnings of the life of the age to come that are already at work in the world, but it's caused a war, and we're in the midst of that war. God's kingdom, God's will is still not done on earth as it is in heaven, which is why we pray and sing that prayer. And that helps us understand when people aren't healed. So that's the first thing. Second thing about the way we approach it is we call it being naturally supernatural. You know, in most simple terms, it means try not to be any more weird than you have to be. <laughs> now, you know, a lot of this stuff is weird. Like putting your hands on people and, and seeing them healed, that's weird. You know, praying over prayer claws and give, pinning it on baby, that's weird. You know, there's a certain amount of weirdness in the deal. But don't add any extra weirdness. <laughs> because it's not your weirdness that makes it work, right? It's, it's just your obedience. So, you know, it's really important, like, you know, we don't, we try like to like not add hype or any kind of manipulation, just very low key. Because then you know it's for real. You know, I, I used to watch, you know, people would come and they'd listen to John Wember 
And they're so, they've heard all these stories about signs and wonders, you know, and they're waiting to see. I want to see something, you know. And they're getting all going, and we're all sitting there the whole time he's talking, and he would preach for the longest time. We're just waiting for him to get done so we could see the stuff we came for, which is probably what you're doing right now. <laughs> And, you know, the room, you know, he'd get done and we're all like, what's going to happen? And he'd say, let's have a coffee break. He'd call a coffee break and just bust the mood entirely. All of a sudden the room is emotionally, it's flat as a pancake. And of course, you know how it is with coffee breaks. It always takes twice as long to get everybody back as you said it was going to take. And then you finally get them back and it's kind of fun. You know, and then just boom, the miracles would start. And people would know this is not something that's coming out of stirring up emotions. Like it's the real deal. You know, I met a few years ago with a son of a pastor and his father's church had had a, 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 a probably a little too much hype and manipulation. And uh, this son had kind of spun out, wasn't going to church, wasn't really being obedient to Jesus, but he was struggling with depression. And I'd been open, pretty open, that I'd had some struggles with depression in my life. So he wanted to talk to me about it. And uh, so he sat down and we talked about it. And then he said, and I didn't even raise the question. I was just talking about the assignment, as it were. Like, how do you manage depression? How can you keep from falling in the hole, and then he starts saying, well, you know, I still believe in God. He says, but I'm, I struggle to go back to church because the way I grew up, I could never tell what was real and what wasn't. So, like, you know, like, we want to have an approach to this that our kids can live with, you know, and that means we got to, like, make it clear that it's for real and that we're not, like, making stuff up or trying to make stuff happen by our own will or our own human effort or our own emotions or by manipulating other people. It's got to be, like, straight on. Like, it, there's got to be an authenticity to it. So we generally try to defuse some of the crazy expectations and just make it simple. A lot of times I'll say to people, well, let's just do an experiment. Let's just try something. You know, um, kind of like that. So the fourth thing is, uh, I'm up to four, no, I'm not four, I'm at three. It comes from mercy, it's all about mercy, not works. Is it like our whole understanding is the works of God, whatever that might be, empowering or healing or deliverance or the, different things that God gives us. It's all mercy, not works. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your regrets are. It's mercy from start to finish. It's all mercy and not dependence on our holiness or perfection, which is why people used to say to John, how do you get ready for the meetings? And he would say, I drink a Diet Coke. They thought he was going to say, I fast for 30 days. I'm thinking, if I fasted for 30 days before every healing encounter, 
I wouldn't live very long. Like there aren't enough days. You know, it's just, it's not about we, us making it happen. It's us responding to the times when God breaks through. And if you're looking and you're waiting and you're watching for him to break through, he breaks through a lot more than you think he might. Number four, we're not trying to find the next superstars. You can say that again. <laughs> we're not trying to find the next superstar. I mean, look at us. We're not trying, that's, that's not the game. We're not trying to find the next superstar. I mean, Sometimes there are superstars, but that's not what we're trying to do in the vineyard. We're, we're, our goal is not to find the next Catherine Kuhlman or the next Benny Hen or, you know, whatever, uh, people that fill stadiums. That's not what we're after. We're trying to build healing communities where people pray over their friends and their family in their living rooms and kitchens and God meets them there. It's, it's like, that's why we say everybody gets to play. That means everybody's part of the team. We all get to participate in this. It's not just for the people on stage. I stand up here to try to encourage you and train you, but the goal is not to stand up here or even to be in this room necessarily. The goal is that you take this home with you and try it out there. Trying to build healing communities. The conferences were never the end. They were a means to the end. Similarly, we are not trying to do some new version of Christian entertainment. It's a sad statement that it has to be said. But we are trying instead to equip an army of ordinary people. People like you, people like me, ordinary people. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to train this army of ordinary people because if you have an army of ordinary people, then that means there's a lot more people going to be touched and going to be close to it. They don't have to go somewhere to, to get, be, get to be a part of it. It kind of comes about in a natural way. And what does that require? If we're going to equip a, an army of ordinary people, what do we have to do? We have to demystify the process, which is what I'm going to try to do for you this weekend. I'm going to try to demystify. I'm going to tell you all the inside secrets that I can possibly cram into the time about how we do this stuff. Because I want, the goal is for you to do it. All right? So that's it. Now, one of our key understandings is that when we pray for people, whatever it is we're praying for them for, whether it's healing or deliverance or empowering or whatever it might be, when we pray for people, 
we function as like the connectors between them and God. All right, so our job is not to somehow convince God to do what he's already said he's going to do. You don't need to convince God of anything. He's trying to convince you. If there's a problem in the process, it's us, you see. But we don't convince God. Rather, what happens is God does something to us. That is, we get that whole thing I talked about. The you will be baptized in the Spirit. You, he, you get overpowered by the power of the Spirit. You get charged up like a battery. And then when you pray for your friend and you pray for your family, you put your hand on them and the power of God flows through you into them. You become the connector. And as you become the connector, what we want to do is kind of act like midwives. Because most people don't really know how to hear, how to receive from God. Because like they've never received in this way before. So they don't, they don't get it. So what we do is we help walk people through it. Like how we midwife them through the process. We don't make it happen, but we help it happen. Okay, so I see a lot of women nodding. They know what I'm talking about. A few glazed eyes among the men, but you know, ask your wife, she'll help you understand. You know, it's sort of like we help it happen. We, we know how it works to receive. And sometimes it's simple things. So, you know, one of the first things I usually do is I tell people, don't pray when I'm going to pray for them. Like, don't pray. Don't, because why? Because I want them to receive. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. There's a stillness that we have to have if we're going to receive. When we pray, we're giving. And it's almost a kind of working, actually, really. We're, we're giving, we're working. And there's a place for that, of course. We should pray a lot. But when you're trying to receive, then when I, or when I'm trying to pray for somebody who needs to receive, I don't want them to pray because that stops the process of receiving. Leaders and pastors are sometimes the hardest people to pray for for that reason. I mean, honest to God, it's like it's easier to pray for an atheist sometimes. You know, when you pray for the atheist, what is the atheist thinking in his head? He's thinking, what if something happens? Pray for some Christians, and the whole time, all they're thinking about is, what if nothing happens? Think about it. <laughs> so we are connectors with them. When we, as midwives, we understand that we can really do nothing on our own. It really is sailing. And I often will say to people, like, don't row. Don't be trying to make something happen. Put your sails up and let the wind carry you. Open your eyes. So this is another thing. When you're praying for people, you open your eyes in the vineyard. Because here's the reason. When the Spirit of God starts to move on people, he releases real power. And that power has a side effect in their body. 
uh, they get hot or they shake or, 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 or. There's a little bit of a list. But there are things that happen in their body that aren't the point, but they're side effects because it's real power. If you stick your finger in the socket, there will be probably some side effects, you know, in your body. We are interested in the side effects because we're trying to follow what the Spirit is doing. We want to see where he's working and then follow that. So if I'm praying for somebody and I see that there's power coming on their hands when their hands swell up and turn red and start shaking, what am I going to do? I'm going to put my hands underneath their hands and I'm going to pray for them to be empowered for healing ministry because that's what power on their hands is all about. Does that make sense? Unless I'm praying for a hand that's been injured and needs to be healed. Um, I'm going to put my hand there. So you're trying to like follow what the Spirit is doing. So you have to have your eyes open or you can't see it and be a part of that. So that's the next thing. And then, um, you have to invite the Spirit to come we're pretty good at that. Pray, it's you know a very old prayer, actually, in the church. Come, Holy Spirit. But then, and this is the part we have a hard time with, you have to wait. We often rush in with a whole pile of words, but the power of God hasn't come yet. The Spirit's not moving yet. The person's not ready yet. They have to, this connection between them and God needs to be established and then you can kind of move into it. So you have to wait when you, and then wait for the power to come. When the power comes, then you can move ahead. So a few years back, I was meeting with a staff of a big non-denominational megachurch near us that wanted to become a more biblical church, and they we're in, interested in, you know, how can we have more healing ministry in our church without losing our brains? And so they invited me to come and spend a day with them, and I found out that one of their key staff people had injured his ankle and foot in some way. He had all kinds of surgeries and, you know, screws and pens and plates, and but still his foot was in constant pain, and he couldn't hardly walk without being in pain, and the doctors were saying, we've tried everything we know how to try. You're probably just going to have to live with this the rest of your life. So after talking to them about it for a while, I said, let's just do him. Let's pray for him. So everybody says, okay, that's great. I says, well, let's, let's, all, let's invite the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to wait. So I prayed, Holy Spirit, come. And, of course, they all had their eyes closed because they weren't vineyard people. They didn't know any better yet. But I have my eyes open, and while my eyes are open, I'm looking around the room. There were about 30 of them. And I'm looking around the room, and I'm asking this question, where's the power? Which is really, I'm asking God, who do you want to use in this healing? Because in any given situation, God has a person he wants to use. He has a way he wants to do it. If you've read uh, the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus didn't do it the same way every time. He does it different ways in different times. 
So it's sort of like every time you are asking the Father, hey, Father, how are we doing it today? How are we doing this one? And who's going to do it? So I'm looking around the room. Who's it going to be? I want to see some power. And I finally spot this youth pastor who's one of the scruffiest-looking youth pastors I've ever seen. I thought, man, if he were in Chicago, we would assume he was living under the bridge. But, um, but I think it had something to do with style, but I'm not entirely certain. <laughs> he probably paid for those clothes to be like that. I'm not sure. At any rate, what I did see was there was power on his hands. His hands were shaking, they were swelling up, they were turning red, and there was oil dripping off the tips of his fingers and literally plop, plop, plop on the floor. And so I said to everybody, look at the power on his hands. And finally their eyes popped open and they're all looking. And I go, oh, wow, that's interesting. Whoa, I never saw that before. And I said, how about this? Let's get those hands on that foot and see what happens. Well, you can imagine what's going to happen, right? He put his hand on that foot. That guy's leg started shaking violently. And he's saying out loud to the group, guys, I'm trying to stop it. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But it won't stop. I can't stop it. And there's just so much power in his leg. It's just like shaking violently. After a little while, we stopped, tested it. And most of the pain was gone. He could walk, you know, hadn't walked a little bit. Did it one more time, and it was completely gone. Like, all the pain was gone. First time he'd been without pain since the accident. And uh, I actually visited them again 12 months later, and he was still healed. I mean, it, you know, it hadn't, hadn't gone away. It wasn't just the pain. Like, the foot was healed. It was better. And the key thing in there is that what made it work was waiting for the power and following the power to the thing that needed to happen, which is part of the whole midwifing thing. You know, sometimes you're stuck in situations and it's just you. You're the only one there. So, like, it's, God's going to have to use you. Like, he's stuck with you. And then you're going to pray. But it, sometimes it happens that while you're praying for them, God might say to you, you know, he might indicate, ah, I want to do it a little different this time. And then you got to do it that way. You know, uh, most of the time it's pretty straightforward. It's just put your hands on them, let the power, invite the power to come, wait for the power, God's power comes, and then they get healed or whatever. But once in a while there's something different. You know, uh, we were, I think it was in Harrogate, and there was, you know, doing another one of these big conferences in Harrogate, and um, there were a bunch of us vineyard pastors on the stage, and John Wimber had gotten us each a person to come up, and we were supposed to pray for them in front of the crowd, and I got this guy from Germany, and he had been in an industrial accident where he burned the inside of his lungs, and every breath was painful. And, you know, my initial thought was, oh, God, why did I get this guy? This sounds hard. You know, what, well, what can you do? That's the guy you got. So there you are. And so I'm praying for him. And there's really, 
nothing happening. There's no power. There's no sign of anything happening. Like, I'm praying, I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to be the example they were hoping for. And then this picture pops into mind, my mind of me blowing in this guy's mouth. And my first response was, no way. I am not doing that. That's weird. Trying to point out to the Lord, don't you remember we're trying to be naturally supernatural? So, but nothing's happening. So then I, you know, try it again. Start over, like, Holy Spirit, by the calm. Wait for the, you know, just repeat the whole process. And again, this picture pops into my mind of me blowing in his mouth. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Oh, God, you know, like, I'm really going to have to do this. Like, he's not giving me anything else but this picture. Like, I'm going to have to do this. And it just killed me because the truth is I really don't like being the object of attention. I really don't like being the weird person. And, you know, the guy, of course, he's 6'3". So I got to say to him, could you hold your mouth open? And then I have to jump. <laughs> to blow in his mouth. And I'm so embarrassed. I just feel like such a fool. Until his eyes pop open and he says, it's gone, it's gone. All the pain is gone. Again, remember, the faith of obedience. Yeah. That's not normal. That's only happened once in 45 years. So maybe you'll get away. Maybe you won't... <laughs> Maybe you won't have to do that. You know, but you know what? You've got to be ready to obey whatever it happens to be. When God gives you special instructions. Now, it's not going to be most of the time. When you read the book of Acts, most of the time it just says they laid their hands on them and healed them. But our life with God is not one of method. Our life with God is one of dependence. Yeah? Not method, dependence. And when we walk that way, guess what? We don't get tired. What does it say? Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not get weary. See, there's, there's a rest in dependence. When you're not trying to make everything happen, when you're just trying to follow the Spirit, do what He's doing, there's rest and renewal, and your strength is renewed. What wears us out is when we're doing stuff that He's not calling us to do. Yeah, so, all right, now then. When the Spirit comes, he's coming to empower people. He's coming to heal people. He's coming to release different spiritual gifts in people. He wants to stir up the gifts of the Spirit. Why? 
because the church grows in both new numbers and maturity when all the parts of the church you know, enter into their various spiritual gifts and share them with one another. You cannot become everything that God has called you to be unless you are part of a body of people who are all trying to share with one another as best they can the spiritual gifts that God has placed in them. This is why you can't do successfully long-term church in your living room. Because when church in your living room means you got one or two gifts, and the rest of them aren't there, they're somewhere else. Okay, so you're not going to become everything God wants you to be that way. We really need each other. And share that with each other, that's when we actually grow and become mature. So the Holy Spirit's all the time trying to stir up gifts and impart gifts. And he's trying to bring us into freedom. You can't imagine how much he wants you to be free. Uh, so often I've seen him go just like slide right past. You know, somebody comes up to get healed and we pray for them. And he like completely ignores the whole deal and goes straight for the place where they're not free. Because it's like, I think to him it's like more important than the pain in your body. Because of what? What is the pain in your soul? He wants you to be free. So those are the kinds of things that he does. And when he comes to do those things, you can see certain effects about that. So I kind of already mentioned, you know, like, if there's power on the hands, he's releasing healing power. If there's power on the mouth, that's like prophecy or preaching. And if there's power on the eyes, that's usually dreams and visions. If there's power on the feet, that's evangelism. It all makes sense if you think about it. If there's power kind of in their stomach and they're kind of doing this thing, you know that thing? That's intercession. They need to turn that energy into prayer. And a lot of people are getting that in these days. Why? Because we need the intercession to break down the walls and open things up. So you can see this. You can also see what things people need to be set free from. So sometimes, you know, I'll pray for people. And, you know... All of a sudden, the power of God comes on them, and the next thing you know, they're on the floor in a fetal position, curled up in a circle. And when that happens, you have somebody who needs to be set free from fear. You know, it just, it's fear manifested. And what the Spirit of God does is kind of cause the body to manifest that as the sort of, really kind of a war gets played out within them. And you can see that, and then you know, I've got to break the spirit of fear. You know, um, if they start doing this thing, pumping their hands, that's striving. You know, and you can see anger and resentment and all the different kinds of things that get people hung up. You can actually see those things in their body. And then you know, okay, i got to pray against it. So this is, that's all part of the, the uh, setting people free part. Sometimes it's just pure empowerment and the power of God comes on them. And don't be confused if there's no words. 
A lot of times he comes and there's no words. There's no content. God's not saying anything. He's just charging him up. So that when you go out, when you go back home and you pray for your neighbor, there's power there. So that's all right. Let's see what there's something else I wanted to see here. Okay, when you pray for people, this will be the last thing tonight, and then we'll give it a, a go. When you pray for people, usually the spirit comes quietly. I like to think of it. He's like that cat that's sneaking into the living room who's not supposed to be there. You know, comes in kind of quietly and hides behind the sofa a little bit. He comes in quietly and just builds up a little bit, you know. And you can just, you got to be have your, your eyes out to see him at first. And just, you're waiting. You've invited the Spirit to come. You're waiting. And it's very quiet and builds. And after a while, it gets stronger. And you'll see more of side effects. Maybe they'll start shaking a little bit or they'll get hotter or whatever. You know, you can see these things because, of course, when they get hot, their body shines or they turn red or they start trembling. Sometimes their ankle muscles get numb and they start wobbling like they want to fall down. Generally, I try to keep them standing up because if they fall down, they think they're done. And they're not. They just got their enough power to get their ankles numb. <laughs> and besides which, then I have to get down on the floor to pray for them. And that's all fine until I want to get back up off the floor. And when you're almost 70, that's a big deal. So, you know, I try to hold them up. But, you know, there are different things like that that you can see. You watch their face. You watch their eyes, their posture. Sometimes people hunch over there's like this weight on them that they feel they feel this weight and you can see that and then you know the holy spirit is starting to move different on different people as that happens okay so would you like to give it a go all right so here's how we're going to do it um you're going to all put down your stuff all your books and notes and pens and whatnot and if if you got any coffee i suggest you move it somewhere safe because it may start quiet, but it doesn't usually end quiet. All right? And now, the thing is, you know, when I invite the Spirit to come, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be watching, and I'm going to start calling people out as I see the Spirit moving on them. And a bunch of you have been cooking all night long, so this is not going to be hard. And um, as that happens, I'm going to say, you know, the Holy Spirit's working on that person, pray for them. And what that's going to mean is I'm looking for some of the people nearby to pray for them. So at, by the time we get to the end of the evening, probably about half of you will get prayed for. And the other half of you, your role tonight is to pray for your friends. Fair enough. It's just like we, we take turns. This is the body of Christ. We take turns. For some people, this is their night to receive. For some of you, this is your night to give. But we don't know who that is first at, at the front end. And different people will respond because, of course, the Spirit knows what he wants to do with you. He, he has a, kind of a different agenda with different people. And that may look a little different as we get into it. And that's okay. So don't, don't be thinking you've got to be like the person next to you 
You know, the, the first time something like this happened to me, I was standing um, like this when John had invited the Spirit to come, and we were all waiting, and this woman over here started shaking her hands like this. And I thought, well, she's weird. <laughs> Where are the ushers? <laughs> like, she's got a problem. You know, and so right when I'm in the midst of doing that, John says all of a sudden, now receive the Holy Spirit. And when he did, it was like a fist hit me in the chest and just about knocked me over my chair. And uh, my number one first thought in that moment, kind of time slowed down and I had a bunch of thoughts. My first thought, number one, I must regain control of my body as soon as possible so that I don't look like her. Because I thought it was a possibility. Little did I know. My second thought was, since when does God hit people? And then I remembered, oh yeah, Paul wrote to Damascus, it could be worse, I might be blind. So, all right, whoever said God is a gentleman lied. And then I thought, hold on, like that was real. That was like really real. That wasn't something emotional because I was busy judging lady shaky hands over here. <laughs> it wasn't emotional. It wasn't like I was in some special state. And it was most certainly not theoretical, like, you know, a theory of the Trinity. It was real power. And you got to know, I grew up Pentecostal. Like, I probably was saying, you know, learning the words mom, dad, and then Holy Spirit. I was speaking in tongues from 11 on, and I was a late bloomer. All my friends started much earlier. So it's not like the Holy Spirit was a new concept to me. But you know, when I got hit with that power, I realized there's a place inside where I didn't really believe in the Holy Spirit where I thought he was just something emotional or just some abstract concept. And when I thought, oh, that's real power, then I had to repent of my unbelief in the Holy Spirit, this Pentecostal kid. If you'd asked me five minutes before, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I said, yeah. But there's believing and then there's believing, huh? So I had to repent of my unbelief, and then things started happening, and I didn't care. So all which is to say, you might be worried about how you look like at some point here, but it's really going to be okay. Once the Lord really starts working on you, you won't care. You won't care. It'll be all right, and wonderful things will take place. So let's all stand.